really there's nothing that isn't possible, no matter how you feel. Like if you feel completely trapped in your work or trapped in a relationship or trapped in your business or trapped in your body, there is always a way out of there. Like there is a way you can get out of pain. There is a way that you can get out of being sad. There is always a workaround. And I think that we just need to keep reminding ourselves that like we can work around anything. Just know that there is always a way to get past wherever you are. This is Women on the Rise, the show about the self-care choices women make to fuel their success in business and life. I'm your host, Laura Dolch. This season, we're widening the lens to talk about resilience, reinvention, and what happens when women refuse to put themselves last. All of which is made possible, of course, when we know ourselves and practice our deeply personal and ever-evolving kind of self-care. Listen in for inspiration and practical tools to help you thrive in a world that often tells women that everyone matters more than them. Hey, everyone, it's Lara here. How is your pandemic summer going? I don't want to make light of it, but, you know, I was talking to some friends this weekend about just having been in this for so many months and feeling so cooped up and stir crazy and, you know, all the things that I'm sure all of us are feeling and like, you know, how we find a path forward through all of that. One that, you know, sort of allows us to be both safe and human. And we decided that we were going to call it the safe-ish path. So for example, I, for one, won't be eating indoors at a restaurant anytime soon. Totally cool. I get other people are comfortable with that. I personally am not, but I have started getting acupuncture again because something had to give with my stiff back, you know, and I I probably won't get on a plane in the near future because I'm just not comfortable with that. But I did rent a cabin on Whidbey Island last weekend and drove slash took a ferry two hours to get there. So that's what I mean, like safe-ish, right? I feel like that, I feel like that works. And we all kind of have to figure out what that, what that safe-ish path is. But I got to say, I feel more human than I have felt in months just by getting really clear on what risks I'm willing to take. So I hope you're able to find your own safe-ish path forward too with mask and lots of hand sanitizer, of course. Those things need to stick around. Anyway, that was kind of an aside, but I hope you're doing well. And um, yeah, hanging in there. Before I introduce you to this week's guest, I have a quick reminder for you. If you would like to support the podcast, which I hope you do, the best way to do that is to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It may not seem like a big deal, but to podcasters, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are like gold because they help other people find the show. So if you haven't already left a rating or review for Women on the Rise, please take a moment to do that now. And if you have left a rating or review. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. So I recorded this week's conversation with master Pilates instructor and fitness entrepreneur Jill Harris back in May. I met Jill years ago when I was teaching Pilates in New York City, and she was running her successful informed body Pilates studio in San Francisco. While social media originally brought us together, Jill actually shares that story in the interview, which I had actually totally forgotten. 
we have been able to meet in person a couple times and we've stayed in touch over the years. And Jill might be one of the most resilient people I know. In 2017, Jill was building the next phase of her business, an all-in-one fitness system called FitSprings, when she was attacked near her home in San Francisco. With extensive injuries and pain, Jill was forced to figure out what she could and could not do physically and to reevaluate what was working and not working in her business and life. Jill's message is simple. There's nothing you can't figure out when you accept your limitations and look for the workaround. Enjoy my conversation with Jill. But I do want to share with my listeners how we met because I just think it's interesting from the perspective of both of our backgrounds. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, I believe we met because I was in San Francisco and I was looking to take a Pilates class and I came to your studio. Is that right? No, you know what? Actually, it was. And <laughs> I want I, to ask. Well, it, yes and no. You're not wrong. Let's just say it that way. Okay. Um, basically, I I am not a Twitter user. And I had a Twitter account and started searching the terms Pilates San Francisco just to see who was mentioning it, what people were writing about, and to see if anyone was looking for Pilates studios so that I could say, come see me. And you had posted on Twitter saying, I'm going to be in San Francisco. Can anybody recommend a Pilates studio? And I saw it and I said, come and see me. And that was how we met. That is hilarious. I had forgotten about the Twitter thing, mostly mm-hmm. because at this point in my career, like Twitter, I just don't use Twitter anymore. I haven't used Twitter no. in years. It drives me crazy. <laughs> but I remember those days where I was like, like everyone else trying to figure out Twitter. That's so funny. I'd forgotten that that interim step. But yeah, I mean, and I had such a great time at the studio and we just connected and stayed in touch. And like, you know, obviously our love of Pilates, my listener, I don't know how many of my listeners even know that I... um I guess technically I'm still a Pilates instructor. I just haven't taught in many, many years, but I'm trained as a Pilates instructor and taught for, you know, many years in New York City. And certainly not as, as I'm like, you're far more accomplished in that space than I am. And I, oh my gosh, like way beyond my level, but it was so fun to work with you in that way. And then to just stay in touch over the years. And I, I wanted my listeners to meet you because as I'm exploring these themes of reinvention and resilience, and especially right now, you have so many stories in that space about that. And I would love to start, I mean, so many directions we can go, but I would love to start with this attack that, that happened to you a few years ago. And if you wouldn't mind, it's a little heavy place to start, but if you wouldn't mind sharing with my listeners a couple of things, what was going on for you in the weeks and months before it happened? Let's start there because I'd like to understand what was going on in your life then. Okay. So I had the, let's just go to the year before. So it happened in 2017. In 2016, I had reached a point where I had a Pilates studio. It was dragging me down. I wasn't feeling at my best. I was forgetting things. I was bloated. Something just seemed really wrong. And it was just, everything was kind of coming to a head where I just couldn't do it anymore. And I had gone to acupuncture. I had done holistic medicine and I went to my doctor and said, you know, I don't, something's just not right here. And she said, well, you know, maybe you have a fibroid or something. Let's get an ultrasound. 
So I got an ultrasound and I also had blood work done. The blood work came back that I was completely depleted in B12, which can lead to memory loss and energy loss. And I also had a tumor on an ovary and a fibroid that was so big, it was pushing my organs up. So I talked to the surgeon and the surgeon said to me, you need to stop everything right now and shut it all down, take care of yourself, have surgery. And that kind of coincided with me reaching a point where I couldn't deal with having this overhead of a studio space. I also, backstory, had developed a piece of fitness equipment and was at that point where I wanted to begin to take it to the next level. And I couldn't do that when my attention was being dragged back into the studio to run a business that wasn't making me happy. And it wasn't also making me enough money to make me that unhappy. So weekend before I had my surgery, I found a teeny tiny room where I could see my private clients. And I signed a lease. I gave notice to my landlords and told my trainers. And I had surgery, but I had nowhere to put my equipment that I had designed. So I go into surgery, I come out, I close my studio, I move into this other space. I'm in this other space for, let's just say, six months, and I can't find an alternative location to put what I developed. A, let me backtrack. I developed a piece of equipment. I call it the Fit Springs. And it's basically an all in one piece of equipment that's designed to offload the impact on your joints and make your movements achievable. So there was nowhere for me to put it. And I started to feel like maybe it's time to rethink the design so that it can fit into the space that I'm in and hopefully fit into more studios. So I redesign it. I get it put together, it gets shipped to me. And it's now been a year, almost a year since I had the surgery. And I'm feeling really great. And I'm loving being in this new space with just me. And I've got this newly designed equipment that I'm just now telling everyone, okay, anyone who asked about it, it's now for sale. This is the best version of it. It's safety rated. It's compact. It's everything that I needed it to be and more. And here it is. And so I send it out to the world and a studio owner reaches back and says, I'm so excited. I'm booking a ticket. I'm flying out the week after Thanksgiving to come train with you. I want it. Great. So that's happening. And it's the week before Thanksgiving and I finish a dance class. I come home and it is a Monday night. It's not even, I don't know, quarter to eight. And a friend says, I'm coming by your house to drop something off. And she meets me at the house and we decide, let's just walk down the street and grab something to eat. We do that and we leave the restaurant and don't even walk a half a block. And I see a man leaning against a building and I just turn my head to look at him. And no sooner did I turn my head back, he hit me with a gun twice. My friend was next to me and she was screaming and grabbing me and the blow to the head just threw me off so badly that I couldn't really have a sense of where I was. And 
it was very confusing because I'd been hit in the head, but she was screaming and grabbing me and trying to get us to run. And I just fell over and I took her down with me and I landed on my shoulder and I heard her yell, he's taking your purse. And the next thing I know, people are in the street, there's ambulances, there's police, there's all kinds of chaos going around. And I sit up and I know that I'm bleeding, but I don't know the full extent of my injury. And someone says to me, you know, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. And um, in that moment, I just had to sit there and breathe and just, you know, there was, I couldn't panic because I didn't know what was happening. And I also felt like panicking wasn't going to help the situation. What was going to help was for me to just sit there and be calm and just breathe and just allow whatever was happening to happen and just go with it. So everyone was around me. They put something on my head to keep the bleeding from you know continuing. The ambulance came, they put me in the ambulance. And when I got up to get in the gurney, my arm was so painful, I couldn't even move my arm. And it was strange because I'd been hit in the head. So couldn't quite figure it out. There was a lot of things couldn't figure out. And then long story short is I got to the hospital and the damage was pretty extensive. My forehead was cut open to the bone. My skull was fractured. My rotator cuff was torn. My shoulder was fractured. The labrum was damaged. C6 and C7 were herniated. And these were all things that we didn't know until like about a month later. We didn't know about the herniation. We didn't know about the fractures because all they did was check my brain. And that was the most important thing was that my brain was okay. And then they put my face back together. And then I went home and spent the next couple of days just trying to figure out why am I in pain and what am I supposed to do? And, um, I had planned on this woman coming basically the next week to train with me on the Fit Springs. So I reached out and said, I have been attacked and I'm in a lot of pain. Is there any way that we could cancel? And she had bought a non-refundable ticket, a non-refundable hotel, non-refundable everything. And so I just said, okay, so we're just going to make it work. <laughs> yeah. And so I was home you know, maybe it happened on a Monday. I was home for maybe five days. And then I went right back to work with black eyes and scars on my face and not able to move. And I just kind of figured I'm just going to do whatever I can do. I mean, I can't touch the clients. Like I can't use my weight against theirs to stretch them. Changing springs is going to be slower and more of a challenge. And I'm in pain and my head is a little fuzzy, but I'm just going to figure it out. And um, as I'm figuring it out, I'm kind of learning what I can do physically and what I can't do physically. And what I learned was that I could do the fit springs, but I couldn't lie on a reformer. So I had to come up with all kinds of different ways where I could say, I have all these limitations, but in spite of all these limitations, what can I do? Not what can't I do, but what can I do to keep moving? So what I couldn't put my arms in the springs 
but I could put the spring closer up above my elbow to support my arm so that I could do a little range of movement. I couldn't lie on a reformer, but I could stand or sit on a reformer. And I couldn't fully demonstrate for this trainer who had flown in, but I could use other people's bodies to explain and clients stepped up and they were the bodies for me. And um, it turned out she ended up buying the equipment, which was completely amazing. But throughout this entire process, you know, I went back to work. I went back to work and my feeling was, I have clients who will say, oh, I dropped a book on my toe. I don't think I can come to Pilates because my toe is broken. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to be that example where I could say, well, I was hit twice in the head with a gun and I fell on my arm, but you know what? I still have my legs and I still have my abs and I still have the capacity to do something, you know, and maybe it's a modified something, but it's still something. And if I can come back to work in this condition and if I can keep my body moving and I know it's possible, then I think it's possible for you to come in too. (laughs) And yeah, that would that was kind of like my whole thought process was I want to be able to not just be that person that is judgmental like oh you hurt your toe really you're going to cancel your appointment but I wanted to be able to speak from experience and say yeah I have a lot of pain but here I am and here's what I can do. I have so many things to say about <laughs> all of that. <laughs> I mean please. I mean so thank you for sharing that and yes there are obviously lots of pieces in there that we mm. could go into. But the first thing that I just want to point out is, I mean, there, there are two things. One is, obviously, and I don't know you that well, but I do know that my sense of you is you're the type of person who, yes, you just figure some things out. The other thing, you just figure it out. Yeah. Right? Which you did here. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to talk more about that and how that worked. But the other thing that I just want to point out is the just absolute beauty and elegance of Pilates. And obviously you've iterated on that, but just the fact that it is accessible to everyone. And I just want to point that out because it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's one of the just miraculous things about that system. It doesn't matter what physical condition you are in, you can do something. With a competent instructor, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or or just, well, the competent instructor, but also to be able to say, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid of what I don't know. I'm just going to go in there and, you know, you broke your back. Well, you know, maybe I can help you. (laughs) I, I don't know for sure that I can, but maybe I can. And, you know, and that's, Maybe that's not the most competent, but it's just that we're in this together. Like you have to trust the person who's working with your body. Yeah. You know, what have you learned about yourself and about being resilient from this whole experience? Well, I I mean, I've learned, well, I wouldn't say I've learned patience because I thought like, oh, I'll be, (laughs) I'll heal from this in five minutes, you know? (laughs) So I haven't learned patience. but. I've learned that like your body is really amazing what it can come back from and what you are capable of. I mean, I've really learned that there's nothing you can't do 
if you don't try, you're never going to do it, right? So if you say I hurt and you don't do something, how do you know that you can't do something unless you try it? So I mean, I did learn, I learned a lot about how to just try trial and error, see what happens, see what works for you. And that's not the best answer, but no, know. but that's the, that's the real, I mean, <laughs> I mean, sure it is. Cause it's the real answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, like thinking back to sort of right after it happened, maybe right when you were sort of, I guess when you were at the lowest point, whether that was while you were in the hospital or just after you got out or whatever, was there a moment where you were like, I, I give up. This is just too hard. Ooh, you know, um, no, I am one of those people that's like, I want to find the answer. And I didn't know why I was in so much pain. So I didn't know that I had a nerve that was hitting, what is it called? I had a bone spur that I never knew I had. That C7 knocked the bone spur into a nerve. And then I was having all this pain. So I didn't know. And so what I didn't know, it just made me want to figure it out more, you know, and not just, not just be okay with like, oh, well, this is broken or this hurts. It's like, well, why does it hurt? And how do I make it stop hurting? And what can I do? And, and I kind of look at the body like that, you know, it's like, oh, your knee hurts when you do this exercise. Well, what can we do to make that same exercise work for you? in a way that's less painful. And that was kind of how I approached what was happening here. What can I do to make it less painful? Yeah. Yeah. Have you always been like that? Has that always sort of been the way that you approach the world? I feel like it's such a bad way to say it, but it's like, I feel like I'm a hustler. You know, it's like, I am always <laughs> like, I am going to hustle. I'm going to hustle my way out of it. It's like, have you ever had a job interview and you're like, sure, I know how to code, but like, you have no idea how to code, but you're like, you know what? I can look like I know how to code and someone's going to believe me and I'm just going to make it work and, you know, figure yeah. it out. So I feel like I'm always that person who's like, all right, I'm going to figure, somehow I am going to figure this out. No matter what I do, I will figure it out. Yeah, well, and that obviously served you well in this situation <laughs> in spades. I mean, here's a, an interesting question. Like, how was the experience of coming back from that different than you expected or imagined it would be? Okay, so this is, for me, it was people cried when they looked at me and I was just like, okay, stop crying. Like that makes me like, I'm showing up to show you that like, I'm strong and it's okay. Like, and I felt like I had to comfort everybody. You know, that's what it felt like coming back. It was like, I like, I don't want your pity and I don't want you to feel like you have to comfort me, but like, I want you to say, wow, I can't believe that this happened to you and here you are. And if you could do that, I could do it too. But instead people cried and I felt like I had to comfort them. So that was, that was definitely not what I expected. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think that's about? Why well, I think it's that? about uh, if you've ever had a parent die or a family member die, people make everything about themselves. And in this situation too, people put themselves in my position. It was like, that could have been me. And it was like, they wanted to make sense of it. And it was like, were you wearing a certain kind of a shoe? Were you dressed a certain way? What did you look like? Because if I look like that, 
I could have been in the same position. And so people like to make sense of it by having it relate to themselves and they just make it all about them in, you know, instead of looking at that person. I mean, it's a totally separate thing. It was, I was in this place at the wrong time. And just because I was, doesn't mean that you'd walk down that same street and it would happen to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that sort of trying to like, um, it's fear, right? I mean, it's like, how can I avoid this situation? If I learn from you what happened to you, then maybe I can avoid that happening to me. Right. It's like you put it in a box and, you know, it's like you put it in a box, like, well, if you were walking in this neighborhood, was it late at night? No. Okay. Well, that box doesn't work. Were you alone? No, that box doesn't work. You know, were you dressed provocatively? No, that box doesn't work. You know, so people want to check all the boxes to make sense of it, you know, and we've been talking a lot. I mean, to the point where it's like, you can't anymore about like with, um, the coronavirus, let's just say it right now, where people have this, well, if you're in a nursing home or if you're in a group or if somebody sneezes or somebody sings or if you're in a class and, you know, and, but there is no answer right now, right? There are ideas of how some people may have come by it or, you know, got the virus, but nobody knows for sure. And, you know, you can't just say, well, I walked down the street and, oh my goodness, if somebody sneezes, then that's it for me. And I think people want to have that everything has to be neatly packaged for them to feel safe and secure. And the reality of life is it's not neatly packaged and it's not always going to be safe and secure. And you're not always going to be able to make sense of things that happen to you, whether it's disease, whether it's death, whether it's an attack of physical, anything happening to you that way. So if we don't know all these things, then it doesn't really serve us to be worrying about every possibility of what could go wrong because I could have been killed, right? And then I would never have been able to do anything again, obviously, because I'd be dead. Or I could have taken the position that um, I'm never going to be outside again, or I'm never going to go out again, or I'm never going to be with a friend again. And had that happened, my life would be completely different. And so where we are now, I understand precaution because precaution now is, you know, I will carry a different kind of a bag. I won't have a big purse on my shoulder. I'll carry a crossbody bag or if I'm going out, I'll put money in a pocket in my wallet. If I see somebody who looks a little bit not quite right to me, I'll walk into the middle of the street. You know, I'll I'll take different precautions similar to with where we are right now, you know, you would wear a mask if you're out in public, that's a precaution. But to say that I'm never going to leave my house again, or I'm never going to go to a gym again, or I'm never going to do all these things again, it doesn't serve me and it doesn't serve anybody else. Yeah. Well, and it also doesn't really make a huge amount of difference. You know, it, the, it's right. the illusion of control that we, that it's completely an illusion. I was actually listening to uh, an interview that Oprah recently did for her Super Soul Conversations podcast with Eckhart Tolle, who she mm-hmm. has spoken to before, but they spoke like recently and and he was talking, I don't know, do you know Eckhart Tolle? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. For my listeners who don't, he's a spiritual teacher is the best way to, to frame who he is. And I, I have to admit, I was initially skeptical of him because he's a little out there, but he actually is very wise in my experience. And the, the book that 
really changed things. My perception of him was a book called The Power of Now. So anyway, they were talking about exactly what we're talking about, which is we can't control what's going to happen. And we obviously, you know, he talks about we should always strive, obviously, to have things together. But I think what he says is things come together and they fall apart and they come together and they fall apart. And we have very little control over <laughs> right, right. when that happens. And so, yes, we should strive for things coming together and being together, but we also, things are going to inevitably fall apart. And we're in a moment where things are falling apart and you can either worry about it to your point. And I'm not saying, I mean, shoot, like I, like everyone else have like spikes of worry and anxiety, but it's, it doesn't change anything. Right. And, and, you know, kind of going back to that, when things like this happen, it pushes you to change. So I can say I was hit over the head which in a way it was like, maybe I needed to be hit over the head to make certain changes in my life. You know, what, what were things that I wasn't taking care of? Like, was I taking care of myself spiritually? Was I meditating? Was I eating the best that I could? Was I sleeping as well as I could? Were my relationships as strong as they could have been? Was my business you know, were the people who supported me the people that I needed to have around me, or did I need to shift in some way, right? And so when these things happen, it really is, I don't want to say symbolic, but it really does kind of push you to make shifts. And you might not want those shifts, but sometimes they're really necessary shifts that happen, you know? Yeah. You know, right now, I mean, I would prefer this not to be happening but at the same time, it's making me, you know, do make some changes to how I do my business. And that was probably something that had to happen for many of us. I mean, not in this way where we were like blunt force trauma, but we are just trying to figure it out from here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that, like what changes did you after the attack and, and sort of coming back from that, what did you pay attention to that you maybe had not been paying attention to before? I was working so hard for everybody else. You know, it was like, I would go like to go back to, I went back to work five days later because I wanted to make sure that my clients were taken care of, right? That they had their sessions, that they had what they needed. I'm doing everything for them. And then I realized that, and also because I needed to work because when you don't work, you don't get paid. And how do you live? And my medical bills were exorbitant. Even with insurance, I paid for everything out of pocket. So it kind of showed me that I had been neglecting my self-worth. I needed to raise my rates higher. I was charging too little. I needed to raise my rates. I was accommodating everybody and making my schedule so full that I didn't have time to focus on fit springs, which was what I had intended to do by downsizing into a smaller space and trying to figure that out. And so it made me stop for a second and say, I can't work with certain people because they're draining me. I need to get paid more money and I need to take care of the business that is really exciting me and making me happy. And eventually that is going to make money for me. So I just had to shift, shift my priorities and shift and be okay with, 
you know, if clients didn't like it and they didn't want to pay more, then there were plenty of other people that they could go and see. I needed to be valued more for what I was doing. Yeah, it sounds like a, a giant sort of awakening in terms of self-care, broadly speaking. Yeah, 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 for what sure. What was that like? Like, can you take me to a moment where or maybe there was a single moment or a series of moments where you're like, whoa, okay, wait, I need to step up for myself. Right. Well, I mean, I, I have a hard time often doing that. I'm often the one who's like, I, you know what, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, and just let it go, let it go. And I had done this online program with a woman called Christy Marie Sheldon. And she takes you through these exercises. And some of them are, you say, like, what would it take? You ask yourself, what would it take? And you say something like, what would it take for me to make more money? And so I would look at my schedule and say, well, if I charged, you know, X amount of dollars more, then I could work X hours less. And, you know, and then it was, what would it take? But then what would the loss be? You know, it's like, if I were to lose a client because I raised my rates, what would the loss be? And then I would write down, you know, well, the loss would be that the client who didn't appreciate me would be gone. Is that going to break me? Or does it leave space for someone better to come in who does value, you know? And so it was just like kind of walking myself through these steps and writing all the, what would it take? What would it take to make a change? You know, what what are the possible downsides, but then what are the upsides to it? And kind of asking myself constantly, is this the end of the world if these things happen? You know, if clients go away, have you ever had a situation where clients don't come back or you don't find new clients? No, that's never been the case. So it was good for me to write it out and to process it and to look at it on paper and say, oh, okay, it, it wouldn't be so bad. The outcomes are not going to be horrible. Yeah. Well, and also like, what else does it open up? Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. maybe you said that. I don't, I don't think you did. But no, like, but well, I, in a little, it's just like, okay. So once you, you know, I mean, we've all been in a situation where it's like, you think like, oh, well, I have to hang on to something so tightly because I may never get this again, you know? Yeah. And I have a friend who's a therapist and we'll talk about things and we'll say, has it ever not worked out that you remember? And we both always say, you know, it has never not worked out. It has all like every time you think that it's not going to work out, it does. You know, you think that you're not going to have enough money to pay your rent, but somehow it comes through, right? Or you think that, you know, it's not going to work out in one way. It just, it just does. And I think that when you can change your mindset around it, instead of always being in that fear, like, oh my God, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm going to get coronavirus or, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it just changes the way that you feel, behave, respond, think. It just opens you up for other possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I think you're right. I think the the key to that is it changes the way you behave because you make different choices when you expect things to work out. And I think in some respect, like at least for myself, because I agree with everything you just said, like things 
somehow work themselves out, even if you feel like you are at the bottom. Like it has happened to me repeatedly, especially <laughs> right. in the last 10 years as a business right. owner. You're like, oh my gosh, wh- what is happening? I'm like, I am at the just at the bottom and then something turns around. But it's because I think, yes, you behave differently. And so whether it's because you hustle more or you make that additional phone call or you connect with someone else or whatever, like it's because for me, I'm in a mindset where I expect it to work out, which makes me search for solutions more. It seems kind of paradoxical, but I I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it totally resonates with me. And, you know, and I think, to be fair, I think we all spiral. We all go through that. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? You know, how, 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 how am I going to not fall apart? How is this all going to happen? And, you know, and it's like, and we are allowed to have a meltdown. Oh, (laughs) yes. And, you know, we're allowed to have a meltdown and we're allowed to like cry about it and be afraid and be upset. But ultimately coming back to that, it never doesn't, it never does not work out. You know, when you come back to that and you just have a moment and sometimes just the idea will come to you and how is it going to work out? I don't know, but sometimes just something like a little something will happen and, and it just does, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and, and in that, you know, kind of what happened with me was that I realized because I went back to, well, what would it take to make more money to make up for not training those clients if those clients don't come? And it was like, I could teach a workshop. So I developed a workshop and then I just sent notes to people on Instagram and said, Hey, you want to host me to teach a workshop? And people said, yes. And then, you know, I thought about fit springs. It was like, well, what would it take to get the fit springs into other studios because I'm clearly not doing something. And so I said, oh, why don't I start doing pop-ups? So I did pop-ups and brought the Fit Springs down to studios in Southern California. And I had this theory that was the foster pet theory, which is like once that foster pet is in your home, you can't imagine that pet not being there. So <laughs> so it was like, let's just bring the pop-up to their homes. And then once the Fit Springs was there and they could see it and their clients could see it, they were like, oh, this is really, how do I not have this? So you know, you come up with ideas when you are called to task. Yeah. I love that. The foster pet theory. Totally. It's so true, <laughs> which is why I have actually resisted. Like I've been talking about for years, yeah. I've been talking about adopting a dog and I have talked about fostering them. And But I, I just, I, I can't foster them. I'm just have to, going to have to decide that I'm going to adopt one because it's, it's, yeah. yeah, I will keep it if I foster it. <laughs> so I might as well just go all in to begin with. Yeah, exactly. They know. <laughs> they totally know. <laughs> totally, totally. What do you think about this notion of women refusing to put themselves last? What comes up for you when I, when I say that? Refusing to put themselves last. That's an interesting thought. I mean, I guess I never really thought about putting myself last but well let me let me reframe this so i don't have children and so i make choices for me and my sisters have children and so because like if i make a choice that says on the weekends i need something for me i've been with clients all day long i need this So waking up early to drive across a bridge to go watch your child play soccer with a bunch of other kids that I don't know is not really in my best interest of self-care. 
And so they view me as selfish because I put myself ahead of them and their child. So I think when you say put yourself last, it may be a different situation for mothers versus women who don't have children. So putting myself last, certainly with regards to the business, I wouldn't say I put myself last because in order for me to survive financially, I need to work. So am I putting myself last by working when I don't want to, or am I putting myself first because I need to get paid? I like that. I like that reframe. So that's kind of a, you know, you have to look at it from two different points of view, you know, but you know, we we could look at it and when you have a business or you work for yourself, that is your baby. And that does require you putting everything into that. I ask because I think to your point about your sister maybe perceiving you as selfish in certain instances, I think often with, with mothers and with women who don't have children, you know, women are more often, I think, demonized for putting themselves first or for refusing to put themselves last, you know, however you right. want to frame that. And right. so I just, I think it's an interesting conversation to have, especially now in a time where, um, unfortunately, women are bearing the brunt of unemployment and they're bearing yes. the brunt of, you know, childcare, which is part of why they're bearing the brunt of unemployment. You know, it's like all of the things that stack up. Yeah. And going back to like, when you are on your own, and you are supporting yourself and your business, I mean, it is a very different situation to be in than when you are in a family or a partnership or, you know, whatever it is. It's a very different, it's a very different case. And it's like, and the things that you do for yourself feel that much more significant. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. One of my previous guests said to me recently that she, so she has a daughter who is, oh my gosh, about to turn a year old. And she, when I asked her a similar question, she said, you know, what I've learned is that there are times, like not always, like sometimes, yeah, I want to go and I want to, you know, take a bath and let my husband take care of my daughter, whatever. But there are other times where putting myself first means putting her first. Like that is what feeds my soul sometimes. And right. so they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, like right. putting yourself first doesn't mean someone else has to go last. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a it is an interesting, I mean, and that just goes off to a whole other thing about like how women take care of themselves completely differently than a man might take care of himself or, you know, even in a situation where, you know, going back to, I was attacked. Now, how many men would be able to go back to work, physical work, taking care of other people while they were in pain (laughs) and, and, you know, and all torn up. So, you know, it's just a, how do we deal with everything in the day to day? Yeah. Gender-wise, yeah, totally, yeah, and that is a whole other conversation. Yeah, I do. Yeah, totally. I, well, and women's pain threshold. I just, I don't know if that's if that's empirically true, but I've always thought that women must have a higher pain threshold by just by virtue of the fact that we are designed to give birth. Which you know, like, 
I've never yeah. given birth, but I neither have I. Can imagine <laughs> how painful that might be. Actually, random side note: What did I read recently? Oh, it was something about how menstrual cramps are actually on a pain scale as painful as a certain phase of labor, which somehow made me feel vindicated as a as someone well, it, who has not given like, birth and doesn't intend to. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to like when I was having all that stuff where I was bloated and I had the fibroid and the tumor. Um, I kept saying, I feel like when I did have my period, I was like, I feel like I'm going to lay an egg. Is that possible? <laughs> like, and, honest, and I was like, and it feels like a big giant golden goose egg. It feels like, <laughs> like, like this is what it feels like it's going to happen. <laughs> and that was like the only way that I could express the level of pain that it was. I'm going to lay an egg. (laughs) Totally. I can tell. I, yeah, I had fibroids removed as well. They, they don't, they don't sound like they were quite as big as, as the one you had, but like, Oh, I can totally relate to that. It's like this weird. Anyway, that's a whole other other conversation. So as we're sort of wrapping up, I would love to just know if there's anything else you'd like to add. Yeah. You know, I think that just really what I want, to convey about anything that any one of us does is that really there's nothing that isn't possible, no matter how you feel. Like if you feel completely trapped in your work or trapped in a relationship or trapped in your business or trapped in your body, there is always a way out of there. Like there is a way you can get out of pain. There is a way that you can get out of being sad. There is always a workaround. And I think that we just need to keep reminding ourselves that like we can work around anything. There's nothing that we can't not figure out in some way. We can get out of wherever we are and keep going and keep moving. So even if you feel like right now, I don't know what I'm going to do with my business, like it'll come to you. It's out there somewhere. If you are in pain in your body, there are things that you can do to keep moving and stay out of pain. So I think just know that there is always a way to get past wherever you are. I love it. That is such a beautiful place to end. Where can people learn more about you, Jill? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, I just newly redesigned and it looks amazing. Please go to my FitSprings website. So it's www.fitsprings.com. I also have my personal for my Pilates website, which is www.informedbody.com. But I really want you to see the FitSprings and go to that site just to have a sense of what it is like when movement is possible. Yeah, they are super cool. I have not tried them, but I did go to your website yesterday and I looked at the video that's there and it totally gave me like a full sense of like, I'm, t- I'm dying to try them. We're going to have to make I that happen wait. one of these when, days. When it, one of these days when the world opens up again and you find yourself here or one of these days when the world opens up again and someone up north says, you know what? I can't imagine how I've lived without Fit Springs all this time. Then you too will get to live with them. Absolutely. I love it. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jill. This was so fun. Oh my God. Thank you. It's so nice to have this time with you. So I really appreciate it. Women on the Rise is produced by me, Lara Dolch, with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit laradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, and share episodes on social media or with your friends. It's all a huge help to the show, and I truly appreciate it. 